Thank you for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. I am Josh Simmers coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan. It is Easter Sunday for me here in Okinawa, but it is still Saturday evening back in San Francisco where my guest is located, Sensei Pat Miguel. Pat Sensei, thank exactly. you for coming to the podcast. Oh, great to be here. Uh, 2015, yeah, 2015, it was uh, May or June of 2015, and I went to Louisiana with my wife, my two daughters, and a mutual friend of ours, Debbie, uh, for the Okinawa Kempo Friendship Conference. Yes, right, right. This Seminar, one was hosted by, right. This one was hosted by Al Lewis. Yep, Cincy Al Lewis. And a great location. I loved it out there. In the middle of nowhere yeah. at some camp, there was no TVs, no Starbucks, no... <laughs> right you know, distractions from anything. It was just there to train and, and meet some great people. And there's this guy, as I remember we're standing in the parking lot because we had just got there on maybe a Friday afternoon and we're standing there introducing ourselves to a handful of people. And there's this guy with a white t-shirt <laughs> with a rice cooker on it. This <laughs> is powered by <laughs> Gohan. It's got this That's rice right. cooker. The rice is overflowing <laughs> And you're like, hey, how you doing? My name's Pat. <laughs> you know, like, okay. <laughs> how you doing? Nice to meet you. That's we me. Yeah. Hit it off and uh, just started chatting and started training and learned a lot from me that weekend. Sparked a, a friendship. And then it was Absolutely. it was just a few months after that when I had moved here with my family, moved back to Okinawa. You were here at that same time. Right. The same year uh, I went to Okinawa with my family. That's right. You were back here, I think, for your father's birthday. Yes, yes. That was it, July. It was July. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, that's when I used to travel in July. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I go back to Okinawa every year. And we've uh, we've obviously kept in touch. Well, you and I know it's obvious. Maybe the, the people watching and listening don't know. Um, but we've kept <laughs> in touch. And you've been back every year since then. We've been able to train together every year since then. Uh, yeah. This year, we got a little bit of a hiccup in the plans because of the coronavirus. Unfortunately, yeah, for the yeah. world. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the year's not over, and maybe you'll get here this year. If not, we'll we'll hit it extra hard for next year when you're here. I hope so. You so. <laughs> too. Well, let's go ahead and get started in this because I'm, I've been interested in interviewing you now for the last two times that you were here in Okinawa. But honestly, we just got training, and the selfish part of me just didn't want to stop and take time to, to do anything <laughs> informal like this. So now we're forced to, to switch gears because of the coronavirus. And, you know, this is what we're doing. We're doing a Zoom interview. So um, yeah. I'd like to just get started right from the beginning. I know a bit of your history, but I want to hear it all, all again from day one. When did uh, <laughs> the young five-year-old or four-year-old uh, Pat Miguel get, get involved with martial arts? Well, I, I remember the day exactly. Uh, it's February 5th, 1970, and I was five years old. So I've been at it for quite a few years. Um, yeah, and my father, for you know, some people know that he's also a martial artist, but he's a jiu-jitsu instructor uh, from back in the 50s. So with martial arts in my family, you know, he was obviously the one that was um, pushing me along. 
I, yeah. I use the word push. <laughs> it's not five. You don't know better. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But he was really the force, if you will, behind things. But, uh, yeah. I don't know many people that, are, that remember the exact day. But That's the uh, something that we should mention as well is you were born here in Okinawa and Okinawa. grew up here on Okinawa. Um, your, yes. your mom is Okinawan. Your, your dad's an American. Right. Um, uh, a Marine was stationed here in Okinawa. So you were born right in, right into it here uh, on the Island. Right. In the culture, um, you know, even Japanese was my first language. Uh, I am, you know, technically a local there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, born in Fatenma, you know, with all local, uh, friends speaking the language. Uh, went to a, church school for uh, kindergarten and first grade and uh, after that I went into the Department of Defense schools the DOD schools in the military uh, yep. so basically went to school with all the military brats you know yep but by that time my father was already retired uh, okay he retired before I was even born so okay. he was really my life coach my cheerleader my guide he was my everything um, but uh, yeah, he's he's retired probably about four or five times too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, he took you down uh, to, to train with Odo sensei. I mean, at the age of yes. five. Right. And, you know, I don't know why he chose Odo sensei. Uh, you know, I, I don't know of any others that were teaching in our, you know, area of frequent travel. So, my dad and I pretty much lived at Stillwell Fieldhouse. Uh, Odo Sensei's class that I started in was at Gunner's Gym. Mm -hmm. uh, Gunner's Gym, as a even the building, I don't think is there. It's definitely not a gym today, but I don't even know if the building's there today. <clears throat> but, they still have Gunner's on Camp Foster, but it's totally different yeah. than than when you had started because it, it was different. It's different <laughs> now from even when I was stationed here. Uh, the location's the same, but it's it's been upgraded. Oh, yeah, but Gunners <laughs> is still there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's where the first classes were, and they were either in the boxing room upstairs, or they were out in the open field out back, uh, in the grass, uh, yeah. where most of my first you know five years of training with older sensei was out in the grass. So, at the time that your dad took there, took you there. Were you the only child, or did Odo Sensei have other other kids around? No, I, I was the only child, um, and so I was always in an adults class. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, well, again, I was only five, so, uh, but I don't recall any other kids in the class uh, in my time growing up uh, in Sensei Odo's class. It wasn't until maybe the early eighties that I started to see some other kids mm -hmm. uh, actually being in the classes. But by that time I was more or less going to the Hombo Dojo, uh, you know, in Agena. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about that a little later, but uh, yeah, there, there weren't many kids. It, it being a child, but you were there, <clears throat> you were there with adults and the adults at that time, I would assume were mostly GIs, probably young yeah, yeah. Marines. Right. Mostly Marines, uh, since we're on a Marine Corps base. Yep. Um, yeah, that's primarily who the other students were. 
did he, what was class like as a, as a child there? And I mean, a young boy, uh, you know, around these other, uh, these young, young men, these young Marines, right. Who were probably extremely physically fit, who were yes. probably always <laughs> trying to challenge each other and <clears throat> push each other. Did you right. get treated any differently? Did Odo Sensei you know, protect you, or was it just kind of like, here you go, <laughs> baptism? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, clearly, you know, there was enough of a generation gap between myself and you know maybe the average uh, eighteen to twenty-year-old GI that might have been there, uh, and there were some older, of course, but um, you know, still, what a big generation gap, right? Yeah, even by 10 years more than 10 years uh so of course they treated me like a kid as i was um that's the students but with Odo sensei it was more or less you know oh patrick you know just follow along you know uh just do the kata and you know follow along that mm -hmm. was more or less you know his common instruction to me also spoke the language um you know i would say that his instructions to me were more detailed. They tell me exactly what to do, uh, you know, how to follow, or how to have uh, a particular technique. You know, positioning my body. Yeah. So he would speak to me in his own native tongue. The Odo Sensei, I, I never had a chance to meet him, but <clears throat> from what I understand, he spoke a little bit of English, but wasn't fluent enough uh, to give detailed instructions or a long conversation is that correct when when you, i wouldn't <clears throat> say able to speak and, and you know nothing against senseiro but um it was really broken english is i think the best i could describe it yeah. um and you know I always think of Hawaiian pigeon, you know, but yeah. it's not even so much that. It's because his choice of words meant what he meant, but it was just a list of nouns and references, and all of the verbs were Japanese, you know. Yep. Uh, you know, so it, it just pointed words. Uh, no, stop, go again. You know, yeah. nice. Yeah, those types <laughs> of. They were just direct words. Uh, you know, okay, again, one more time, or you know, these yep. things are just common conversation, yep, you know. Uh, but there were a lot of gestures that made by hand, or you know, his his um uh, smile, or you know, his shaking his head, mm -hmm. yeah, that that's the common way, you know, where the communications were understood. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there was a lot of challenge for him to communicate details, so. In the end, I would say a majority, if not all of those students, really trained by doing as he does. Okay. So, you know, visual, not not yeah. you know, confirmation verbally with him saying, oh, nice, very good, you know, something like that. Yeah. You get the confirmation. But as far as, you know, how to do it, he would have to get up and show. Yeah. So that, that's where it was a bit challenging for Oda sensei uh, did you ever get pulled in as a translator so to speak because of that <laughs> as i got as i got older yes yeah <laughs> many <laughs> times yeah yeah many times you're, you're chuckling I, I there is that what, what's the reason for the <laughs> chuckle <laughs> uh 
Well, I, I might have taken it too far in some cases. <laughs> uh, I was a very, I was an opportunist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, is there, uh, is there maybe some new kata that people were <laughs> being taught? Or, <laughs> or? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a time when I believe I was uh, Sankyu or Nikyu. Uh, a brown belt at that. Uh, and we're at the field out in front of Stillwell Field House. So uh, I think after a couple of years being at Gunner's Gym, his class moved to the Stillwell Field House, the bigger gym. Now, okay. Where the main entrance is to the field house today uh, in its new constructed, you know, front lobby and so forth. Uh, that whole grassy area in front is a huge uh, space. Uh, that's where he held his classes and uh, we were out there and he told me he says Patrick you know um, go ahead and teach uh, one suit you know to these couple of gentlemen and uh, I don't want to mention the names here <laughs> but, but they are still active in Okinawa Kempo yeah. uh, and uh, he said um, he said, I'll teach them once to us. Okay, okay. So you know, I, I went ahead and I uh, started teaching them once to. I, I don't know how many times I went through it, but they got through it. And I said, okay, next I'm going to teach you two suit. And, of course, I had a serious face. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't mean to be a clown, but I was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you just started making up a kata. I just started making up a kata. <laughs> Probably after about five moves, I said, "Ah, just kidding." You know. <laughs> but yeah, that's like yeah, that was a real. The little really brother uh, at that point <laughs> trying to pick on the big brothers is how I imagine that you know with these older GIs. Yeah, they're probably like, "Okay, wait till we get to Kumite." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did Odo Sensei know that you were doing that? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe I'm glad. Maybe yeah, I'm glad. They're, they probably didn't want to uh, say anything either. Yeah, he probably would have had a word with me. <laughs> when uh, when Odo Sensei was teaching there on base, did he have a lot of um, did he have a lot of students? Was it a, a large class? And and uh, because nowadays it's not. If if you recall. Well, I don't know when the last time you were on base, actually, or, or looked at this uh, from a military perspective, but training in, in Okinawa Karate is, is a small group now amongst the GIs. It's more in the jiu-jitsu and, yeah. you know, the MMA. I, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem to have much appeal, you know, uh, since the uh, BJJ and, you know, this octagon, you know, type. Mm -hmm. Uh, martial arts and sports, if you will. Um, but his classes were decent sizes. I mean, they were about 20 people. Okay. Uh, about 20 people in class, you know, all ranges of age and men and women, uh, mostly men. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was rare to have women in the class. Uh, they were welcome. Um, and at the time, well, I would say between 1970 and about, let's say, 70, 75, 76 in that area, 
it was seven days a week. So I went every day, Saturday and Sunday, from five to seven every day. So it was like brushing my teeth. <laughs> so. Every day after school, yeah. and then Saturday and Sunday. Was it? Did he have a class structure during the week? We're doing kata. Saturday is kobudo, Sunday is kumite, or anything like that, or was it just kind of whatever Odo Sensei felt like teaching at that time? I think it's whatever, you know, just going by memory, I think it was just whatever he felt like teaching at the time. Kumite was the one that seemed to have more of a set date. But, you know, as you would know, as a, a sensei yourself, you know, it really depends on who's there. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does. To, yeah. You know, do, you know, have the right instruction or instruction set to really work well. Yeah. But we did have Kumite. We did have... Uh, we did as much kata as we did kobudo. Uh, and so besides that, it was, you know, regular kihon drills or, um, you know, exercises or stretching uh, that yeah. we did in the beginning. Uh, but it was a two-hour class. But it was from 5 o'clock to 7 p.m. Five days a week and then Saturday and Sunday as well. Every day after school, yeah. that was your, that was your, uh, yeah. your evening. Well... From seven to nine was my father's jujitsu class. <laughs> uh, he was still still teaching back in those days. Uh, it was um, yeah, seven to nine, but still I was a child. So uh, traditional jujitsu. Um, not to say that you know Brazilian jujitsu doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt, but I would say it's not as driven by pain. Uh, such as nerve techniques, as traditional jujitsu is, at least in my father's style. So, so you, he you would, getting, I would more. You were getting the traditional Okinawa karate from from Oto Sensei, and then I, additionally, two hours every night was jujitsu <laughs> training with your father in in his class. Yes. Where again, you were probably a lot of times the only child. Yes, <laughs> always. <laughs> there were never children any there. It's just that, you know, as children, uh, what he was explaining to me, my father was explaining to me, was that it's um, children or, you know, folks, uh, kids at that age are more sensitive to pain. Uh, but not only that, our you know, bones are still growing. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still growing. So our joints may not be as well structured. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're more vulnerable to injury while at the same time, uh, the bones are not firmed up uh, for the same reasons, you know, he had me hold back on punching a makiwara until I was 16, 17 years old, mm -hmm. you know, because our bones are still soft. So for the same reason, he wouldn't have me do a lot of things in jujitsu. Uh, but what he did have me do every, t every night, though, is to take falls, break falls, cross falls, you know, falls over his shoulder, you know, all kinds of things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, he definitely had me uh, watch and, you know, be on the falling side of the technique. So I knew, you know, what it felt like. Uh, but generally, he wouldn't trust anybody else to throw me. He would do it himself. Was there at that time, and also now, I guess, <laughs> much crossover with the two types of training, with the jiu-jitsu and and what you were learning in Okinawa Kempo, or 
were you able to piece the two together or were they two separate worlds for you then? And how about now? Yeah, it was very different back then because they were two separate rules, uh, worlds. Um, because in Oro Sensei's classes, while it was traditional karate, so we did engage with blocks and punches and exchange that between partners, as you would call it, yakusoku kumite type format. Uh, while that was always present, um, it was rare that we would have much of throwing or sweeping or taking down, you know. Um, but then again, some of that was relative to which kata we may have been doing. Uh, like Pian Yondan, Godan, Pasai, for example, you know, where you have this type of movement. You know, where it could be a double block, parry, down, grab, boom, you know, type of thing. Uh, but again, there, there are no set uh, references to these katas today. So it's hard to say. But at least his impression of a particular technique or move, uh, or the bunkai, if you will, uh, he would go through them. But they weren't that often. They weren't mm -hmm. that often. So those are the only times I would, you know, have sort of an arm bar or sort of a, a technique where you're actually grabbing somebody by the gi or by the arm or the wrist. But so that, that was usually the separating line because ju ju traditional jujitsu, if somebody never reaches out, nothing happens. Nothing okay. happens. Yeah. If they touch you or if they reach for you, then something will happen. Something's going to happen. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, nothing can happen. It's not part of the, the art, if you will. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any other students that, the adults even, that were training with Odo Sensei that also trained with your father? Or were they typically separate as well? Uh, no. They, they were never crossovers from karate to jiu-jitsu. Okay. Not because it was forbidden, but just because it didn't happen? Is something it just that didn't happen. It two wasn't hours forbidden. those guys were done and okay. All right. Uh, it was his classes had a way of managing the class size. Just, yeah. <laughs> because it was so painful. Some yeah. people went one one time and that was it. Yeah. Uh some people got hooked on that and said, Wow, this really works and yeah. they stayed. And they, they just you know endured the pain. Because yeah. my father, also being a retired Marine, retired gunnery sergeant, you know, he was also old school. In the yeah, sense yeah. That, you know, his generation was in World War Two. But when it, when it was night to change uh, knives, you know, daggers, uh, or glass bottles, he would bring the real deal. Yeah. He'd he'd have a a, a gunny sack with you know actual sake bottles. And then he'd break them right there. So then they'd use, he'd use the bottle top so, you know, kind of the, as the handle, the net. And that's what they would actually train with. So it was a real deal. Yeah, I can imagine um, going to class for the first night and seeing that and some people thinking, probably myself included, I'm probably not going to come back. <laughs> yeah. But that's how I'm <laughs> or if I do, I'm going to come back with some form of armor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's for the same reason that in Pobodo, I still have, you know, signs. You can, well, not through here, but I had 11 stitches down the side of my hand here. And I got those when I was seven years old. And I was doing the first Kamakata. And uh, at the end, when you finish like this, that's actually the first block. One, then two, and then you do a double hook and pull back in the guashi, and then you finish. So there are a few handful of moves in there. I cut myself from here, and it came right down, and it was just a scratch down my arm. Thank goodness. But it was a deep cut to get stitches right to here. I was seven years old. And after that, I knew something was wrong. My hand was hot. And nobody else said anything. I bowed. Uh, and we were all taking turns going up and doing kata. And then, you know, Sensei Oda would call us up to do a kata and perform them by ourselves. Uh, not, no competition. It's just, just practice. It's right? class, right? Yeah. So I put the commas down. I saw blood running down my arm. And I just bowed out and I just ran. I'm seven years old. I have no idea you just shouldn't run, especially having a gouge like that in your skin. I ran upstairs all the way to the restroom, and I had two, <laughs> I had two uh, uh, GIs facing, uh, uh, running after me, and they're saying, "Pat, stop, stop, don't run!" And I just kept, I have a cut. I need to yeah. wash it off. I'm running, and they can't catch me, right? And I'm running as fast as I can. I get there, and I'm rinsing it off. I have no concept of what a bad cut is, what is not. I just know it's bleeding. Yeah. And I'm putting, you know, running water across my hand. I'm seeing the flesh just flap open. I can see my bone. Yeah. But they came in and said, Pat, you know, you're not supposed to run. It'll make it bleed more. So after I got it cleaned up, they called my dad, and <laughs> they actually carried me back. <laughs> So, Seven years old using real comma. When I went back to it, my father said, no, you're going back to the same comma. Wow. And that's his way of, and that's why I say that, you know, to give the mindset of how he taught his classes. If you don't use the real thing, you don't respect it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and have an understanding for it. So same reason why I still have the same comma. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. unreal seven years old i can't even imagine like my wife doesn't <laughs> want me using comma she's afraid i'm going to cut my arm off and i can't imagine yeah. giving it to you know one of my daughters or one of my young students <sighs> different times but you're going to learn real fast aren't you <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely all right so training with comma and other weapons at seven years old i'm i'm assuming uh, was was yeah. just norm. <clears throat> when when you started to train though at the Hombu Dojo in uh, Agina, right? Agina. Yes, Agina. Agina. So when you started training with Odo Sensei, he already had that dojo, or he got that uh, the Hombu Dojo later on? No, he already had that dojo. Uh, I imagine it was built sometime. I don't know if it was late 60s or if it was maybe around the time I started. I'm not sure. Okay. But when I when I actually started going to the Hombo Dojo on a regular basis is when I was about 10 years old. Uh, but I think I may have gone there for a promotion 
one time, a couple times maybe before then. Okay. It's, you know, uh, from a from a perspective of someone that's you know seven eight years old, uh, just a building. <laughs> so there was nothing different then with the classes from the home dojo versus being at the the field house or in the gunner's gym. The format was pretty much the same. The format was the same, except uh, the students. Uh, there were more locals there. Uh, it was almost split between Okinawans and the military. Uh, the students were typically different students because uh, they were students from the base camps in that area. So it was yep. Camp Victorious, maybe Courtney. Yep. You know, yep. Yep. Yeah, ge ge geography definitely played a role, and it still does. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about promotions. I'm curious to know, under Odo-sensei, when it came time for a promotion test, was it, was it, was it called a test? Was it an exam? How did, how did, how did Odo-sensei treat promotions? Were students required to, to do a particular set of kata, or maybe sensei would just kind of call, ah, do this, do that? Was it high stress? Um, I think... It wasn't high stress. Uh, I know a lot of uh, dojos, these, well, I shouldn't put it this way, but <laughs> let's say a lot of dojos here in the United States, you know, a lot of it is high stress um, where the students must perform and do all the katas they know, all the basics they know, and do 100 push ups and 100 sit ups or whatever. But, you know, that in the end, that doesn't make them a better qualified rank for that rank that they're trying to be promoted to. It, it doesn't. Um, and the philosophy for Sensei Odo, I believe, is that while just it's it's embedded in the culture that you know if your sensei says, "Oh, you should become Yonkyu or you know, whatever the rank." uh that you accept it and say okay sensei uh you know and if he came up to you as a student and said that likely you would have all of the means to achieve that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i mean unless you just completely fall on your face and forget the kata and do it facing the wrong direction or whatever the case might be um so you know, hence the reason why we did kata in front of all of your, you know, peers and uh, visitors or whoever it might have been. Uh, so you get rid of that, you know, uh, the fear or stage fright, you know, as some would call it. Um, but, you know, overall, the promotions were, uh, you would go to that specific day. Uh, wherever the dojo or wherever the promotions were being held and he would call out the person and first generally they would start off with katas then uh, you know he would tell you which kata to do and you just go up there and do it mm -hmm. every sensei knows their students and their abilities uh, but which kata is best suited for that rank that they're trying to be promoted to mm -hmm. Is going to be most representative, and so they would ask for them to do that. And it could be one, two, you know, maybe even three katas if there was doubt. Uh, and same thing with kobudo. And then following that would be kumite. 
Um, now, where it was different was that um, when you did kumite, if you were, let's say, the Don level, if you were in the black belt levels, uh, you would be sparring somebody that was, if they were present, but you would be, so if I was trying to get to uh, Nidan, I would spar somebody that's a Sanda. Okay. okay. Uh, and nothing would happen to the Sandan if the Nidan won, but <laughs> just saying, uh, and it wasn't so much winning or losing. Uh, no one kept score. You would just go in for three minutes and spar. And the way we sparred was Bogu. So you'd have Bogu basically is the, the gear for, that we used for Kendo, more or less, especially the head, you know, the mask. And we used the Kendo gloves, which, you know, uh, had line bamboo uh, strips in the forearms and everything, which would protect you from the shinai by using Kendo. Uh, and the hands were well protected. So whenever we would punch and hit the wireframe mask, it wouldn't hurt the hands. Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't have any foot gear uh, or anything like that. You had, uh, this was a modified chest protector, but Shredo used to make these. Uh, and they're really nice too. And I wish they still carried them, but uh, similar to your traditional or very common chest protector of today, except they were much longer. They would actually go down to hip bones. And then the bottom half of it would cover half of your thigh. And there were probably about seven to 10 flaps that would overlap like this. Each of them were uh, lined internally with strips of bamboo. So you could, it would take an impact and sort of absorb the impact, but wouldn't break. But because they're hanging flaps, you could actually raise your knee and still kick with it freely. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had more movement and protection from that type of gear. And you'd be able to move about freely. Um, you know, it's hot as hell, but you know, yeah. you'd, you'd be able to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, and so it's pretty much you, you don the gear and go at it, you know. So who's keeping score? Yeah. Nobody. You know, if somebody uh, falls or something, okay, get up. Okay, how's your mate? And you start over again. You know, keep going. But the time keeps going. Uh, for Usually it's about three minutes or so. And that was it. Um, you know. But now once you got to a black belt, uh, it was an option. It, it wasn't necessarily a requirement to have the Bogu gear on. Uh, okay. So this was challenging the skill and the focus of those two that are sparring. Okay. They have good contact, good control, uh, and having a constant respect for each other. Uh, but there was head contact or facial contact, but you know, even at that, it's just control. Uh -huh. um, you know, but that that was the case. So for Don levels and up, that's how it was typically. Uh, unless there was a reason to have the Bogu gear on. It was optional at some point as well. Okay. But, but that was regular training. Now, you're talking about the, the promotion. Um, yeah, so for the promotions, Kata, Kobodo. Uh, well, Kobodo, sometimes it was more than a couple Katas because, you know, I mean, we did, what, seven different weapons? Yeah. 
I mean, so eku, nunte, bo, it's all kind of clustered as one sometimes, right? And then you had sai, tumfa, nunchak, kama. That's seven. Yeah. So th those were the standard seven that we always use in the class. Wow. So okay. It might have been, you know, any one of those that Odo Sesley might say, you know, okay, do this and do that, you know. But again, it's depending on what is suited for your level. Yep. For yep. emotion. Yep. Yeah, I would say that um, from what I've experienced, actually what I experienced in America under um, Sensei Coffin with Okinawa Kempo, and then even here, um, we didn't go through all the kata. Mm. Because sometimes, like in, in the States with, with Sensei Coffin, there would be... Never end. <laughs> two it'd be 20 or 30 people you'd, you'd be there forever if you, if every student had to do all the kata i mean actually more than that sometimes i mean yeah a lot of students yeah um but well, i mean a lot of I, the you know dojos or i should just call them karate schools right? uh, you know they might have five katas you know who knows <laughs> but, yeah 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 so there's some here but i mean like for our promotions over here Sensei is, of course, watching you all the time before, right. like for, for months, for weeks, for years. Yeah. And then exactly. at the day of the exactly. promotion test, so to speak, um, we'll do group kata and then maybe three individual. And, mm -hmm. and that's really, exactly. it's, it's low key. It's low, low exactly. stress, low pressure, you know. But. Now in, in, um, our tournaments, uh, I'm sorry, not tournaments, in our promotions, you know, I was making a distinct difference between the cues and the dons. Okay, so whenever there were a group of folks, you know, within the dojo that were being promoted to dons, let's say if there was a significant don level, like Sandan, Yondan, uh, those are significant. Um, and you had maybe some cues going up. You know, they would be all lumped into one, but the setting or the place may be different. Whereas if it's all cues, it could be done at the regular class location, it could be on base, it could be at the home dojo, but Oro Sensei is the only one present. Uh, but if there were significant dons being uh, recognized, uh, there were other senseis there. Uh, and, you know, they range from anyone like Seijiro Maihara, to Masaru Uechi, uh, Masuhiko Aragi, and I can send you the list of names, but some of the more well-known ones is Kenko Chibana, mm -hmm. Takeru Nakamura, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I love these guys. When, when you would go for these uh, higher level Don, or maybe I shouldn't say higher level Don, but when you would go for the Don uh, promotions, you yourself or other students, it, these these other senseis would come to Odo Sensei's dojo to watch, or, or I think at one time you told me you you've gone to Nago to the Hombu Dojo Nakamura Shigeru's Hombu Dojo to to test as well. Is that correct? Yes, there was uh, one time I went there, um, but another time I just it wasn't the same dojo, so I don't remember whose dojo it was, but. It was dependent on, you know, who was available and their, their dojo may be having promotions as well. And I'm sure 
the uh, you know, group of senseis would try to arrange it so that they can support themselves or support each other rather. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they would basically be at the, you know, main head table and they would, you know, talk to each other and, you know, see if the person is worthy of that promotion or, you know, if they'd like to see something else, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and when it came to Kubite, it wouldn't matter whether you were sparring somebody that was in the same class or from two different dojos. But generally, that was the benefit of having multiple dojos there so that you'd be having two people spar that were of known levels, let's say by rank, mm-hmm. but you didn't know how their skill level matched mm-hmm. or did. So mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, what was the benefit there? Um, but that, you know, depending on the sensei and the rank, you know, of the group that was being promoted. So if you had the significant group that was being promoted to some don level, usually likely you'd be going to uh, either Oro Sensei's Hombo Dojo with other senseis coming in or at another sensei's dojo with our dojo also being present to represent me. But that was a nice thing back then, and that's how we got to know some of the other dojos uh, around the island, ma- mainly the northern part, part of the island. Yeah, because normally you weren't training with them all the time, maybe a couple no. times a year. Let's talk about tournaments, because you, I know you competed in tournaments when you were younger, um, but... Do you recall your earliest days, or your your first tournament? I mean, if you if you can remember the very first day that you started, February fifth, nineteen seventy, can you remember <laughs> the very first tournament? I can remember the very first tournament. I couldn't give you the date though. <laughs> I, I remember how old I was. Um, I was thirteen, and uh, I don't even know if there was a children's division or a teenage division, but. I was already a Don level, which was kind of early. You know, in thinking back or looking back, I probably wouldn't have agreed to have me be a Shodan even at 13. But, uh, you know, since Oro Sensei, he's the one that suggested and and did the promotion. So, yeah, I I can't say anything against that. But, yeah, so I was already a black belt, and I was competing in the black belt level adults at 13. And I came home with two-third places. Uh, I, I'm i sure I did Pasai, if I recall, because that, that was one of my go-to katas, Pasai. Uh, second one was Kusanku, then Chinto. So those are my favorites uh they're coming home with a third place from the adult division and uh same thing in weapons except in weapons interestingly i competed with nunchuck mm. i didn't do bow and bow okay. was well nunchuck was my favorite in the younger years <laughs> okay okay i when you say interestingly i i understand well, where you're coming from with that and people that know you and have trained with you would understand that probably but uh because Bo is definitely i guess your favorite now or probably what you're most well known for but so as a younger uh younger uh child you know probably interested in the bruce lee <laughs> films and, and this and that at the time nunchaku was the the cool weapon yeah. 
Who didn't, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Were that these tournaments it. on the military bases at I, that time, or were these were these out uh, off base? Uh, this one was on Camp Courtney. Was it Courtney or Camp Hanson? Hanson was the first tournament I went to. Okay. So it's a little further up north. Um, yeah. There were locals there, but it was predominantly held um, and managed by, you know, an organization like NWR or something, you know, yeah. on base. Yeah. Um, but coordinated through, you know, uh, some senseis that actually taught on base yeah. um, and their friends. Um, and, and this was so that they would have some, you know, official representative of you know kata karate on you know at the tournament yeah. uh, and it's always great to have some local you know master or you know sensei that's well known be present yeah. so that, that was very commonplace there uh, so at the same time you know there are many locals that were invited uh, but in general there may not have been any more than four or five okay you know, Okay. But it was majority military. Okay. Yep. Yep. What are your What are your feelings about tournaments <clears throat> back then <clears throat> and now? Um, do you Do you think tournaments are good? They're bad. Pros, cons. I I think they are good. Um, whether it's an open tournament or whether it is a tournament that is a specific born from a style what i mean by that is that the area i, I am live in now um you know san francisco area the dojos in san bruno california and what's strong around here is um uh, shotokan shotokan being you know very strong and of course off you have your offshoots of shotokan like wadoryu is another one and then there's another division that you know, of Shotokan or Breakout that does same katas. And, you know, the dojo that I started to teach at or took over was, uh, you know, Matayoshi, uh, I'm sorry, is uh, Matsubayashi Ryu. And it is far from the Shotokan style. And so I think tournaments are great for kids and adults so that they can kind of put themselves in the spot. And so I told my students, I said, you know, we're going to go to this tournament and have fun. The odds are already against you. If you win, that's like a double win. So, you know, I said, let's just do it. Have fun. And I said, if any one of you participate, I too will be on the floor with you competing. So I did. Uh, so I ended up with, you know, a group of students out there and, you know, we came back with some trophies, which is nice, you know, but, um, I think the benefit is for each individual to recognize, oh, you know, they get all choked up or stressed out or something. I, I think that is the experience in itself. That's worth it all. Uh, not if you win or not, it's. You know, not a big deal. But um, you know, in my time of you know going to tournaments, as a kid, a teenager, 
I, I didn't really enjoy the tournament so much because it seemed to be repetitious all the time. You go, compete, get last all day, and you're done, and you go home. It was just, to me, it was just like, wow. Um, I, I tried even uh, Kumite for a couple of years, but in the end, it just didn't mesh with me because I was always outsized. I, I was always out of my category. What would you call it? Um, I always felt like I was uh, out of displaced. So everyone's taller than me. Everyone's bigger mm -hmm. than me. Uh, so to give you an example, I was, until I was 22, I was still growing. So I didn't reach my height until I was 22. So, you know, I had these slow growth patterns from childhood. Uh, so when I was, you know, starting competing 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, it wasn't until I was 17, I was, you know, closer to, you know, these uh, military folks. Yep. But by then I had just kind of, gotten over the uh, the sparring um we did sparring at the dojo still but i wasn't really interested in it really wasn't mm -hmm. but um you know something we didn't touch on was uh you know where it had to do with uh my sparring and, and my time training with uh shorting you shorting kan which is <coughs> Shigeru, so uh, sensei let's I know the I know the history behind why you had to go there, but if you could yeah. just give us a brief there, you did have to switch schools at some point. I did. I was about uh, ten years old. Uh, Odo Sensei lost his contract uh, for teaching on base. Uh, I don't know what happened or what the details were. Um, so he wasn't going to be teaching for at least a couple of years, a year or a couple. Of, I don't know the duration. Um, so. Uh, the plan was for me to go to the Gena Dojo, the Hongbo Dojo, uh, when I could. But it was, you know, it was a significant distance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To where the timing and all of that would have been an issue and going to school. Yeah. From Fatema to Gena. Yeah. For those who don't know, it is, it's not really, you couldn't walk there. So you would have to take a bus yeah. if your father or mother couldn't take you. Right. And my father, you know, he, he said, well, 10 years old, he's still, he didn't feel comfortable with me taking public transportation. Right. Uh, where I'd be on the bus for probably close to an hour, I'm yep. thinking, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so, you know, he took me to another dojo um, where the styles, at least kata-wise, were similar. Um, and this was uh, in Ojana, uh, the road that leads up to MCAS Patenma. Yeah. It was on the left side. Uh, this was the dojo by uh, Shiroma Jiro, uh, Shiroma Sensei, uh, who was a Rokudan under Nakazato Sensei. Okay. Uh, and through the recent uh, uh, video of um, Sensei Perry, I yes. found out that. So say Perry went there as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought, uh, what are the odds? You know, yeah. I'm still trying to track that down to see if we cross paths. But I was there at that dojo for a few years. Uh, so I think around three years. Uh, and the reason I stopped going there was one, I was 
getting old enough to go to go go to Agenov, uh, which would set me at 13, which is when I did my first tournament. Um, and uh, uh, Shiroma Tensei also was shutting down, and he was uh, planning to come back, come to the United States, and move to the United States. Uh, and I think he's in Arizona now. Um, so that, those were the reasons I, I went to Shiroma Sensei. Uh, and periodically, we'd go as a dojo to uh, Sensei Nagasato's dojo as well. But um, from 13 on, I went back to Oro Sensei and was traveling to, again, a dojo. When you went and you had to switch over to Shodan Ryu, Shodan Khan, did you have to go, did they accept you at the rank that you were at, or did you have to do any type of <clears throat> probationary period or testing or anything at that time? It, it wasn't even attempted. It wasn't even asked. I put a white belt on and went in. Uh, with the understanding, Shiroma say that, of course, I mean, he saw what I was able to do. So he knew I did something. So, you know, mm -hmm. of course, we're not going in without telling him anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he knew the background. He understood. He accepted me. And, uh, you know, I never actually received rank from him, but I did receive a certificate of accomplishment and what I was uh, experienced by. So I have a, a certificate from him of recognition for my training with him, which is quite unique. Uh, but it wasn't recognition of any belt or anything like that. Right. But right. here again, there were no kids in that class either. So uh, I was probably, you know, I think a white belt for three years or something, but I was just a kid. Yeah. Uh, but I would say the best thing and the most I've learned uh, during my time with uh, Shiroma Sensei is sparring. That's where I really learned. Um, Shiroma Sensei had uh, a very different background of combative arts and sparring uh, from kickboxing to other arts. Uh, so the way we would condition and train is quite different. We'd be taking nunchucks and tumfa and Coke bottles and military coffee mugs and beating our shins with it. Uh, so, you know, for him, uh, and even Oro Sensei, they would basically teach to my learning as I spoke their language. Uh, so Shiroma Sensei, he would tell me, Pat, you know, if you aim low and work your way up, they will be on their way down. So it's kind of this, you know, sort of meet in the middle kind of thing. You know, but, but I mean, we would aim to the knees, the thighs, you know, lower legs all the time. But he would teach me to train and attack what was closest and safest for me. It wasn't big about high kicks or anything like that. It was very focused on uh, the most opportune targets, mm -hmm. timing, and when to go in. Um, but I learned a lot about sparring from him, and there we didn't wear any gear. It was more or less like, almost like K1 type sparring, mm -hmm. full contact. Uh, but I learned a lot from him, a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and I would say it's more self-defensive type sparring or fighting i wouldn't even want to call it sparring no like self-defensive fighting okay but again as a, a 10 11 12 year old child against <clears throat> gis right there next yeah. to marine corps air stations for tema 
right? Right. That was tough. That was tough. That's interesting concept in theory, though, to pick up <clears throat> as a young child, and um, when you went back over then to to train with Odo Sensei, did that influence the times that you did get into Kumite though? In Okinawa Kempo versus what you were doing with Shiroma Sensei, did that influence your? Kumite did Odo Sensei say, "Hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> it definitely influenced my Kumite. Uh, I felt like I had a positive advantage. Um, but again, you know, I the size, uh, body weight, and, and size differential was also always against me. Um, but at the same time, speed and flexibility was also in my favor. And not to say that flexibility as in, you know, being able to kick someone's head, not, it was rare that I would even attempt that. Um, that's you know, quite risky, but uh, it's more or less about having the right agility and, you know, a believable, be able to maneuver faster for defense or offensive movements. Uh, that's, that's what was great about that time when mm -hmm. Sensei Shiroma. <laughs> Odo Sensei uh, is definitely known for his kata and uh, his empty hand and for his weapons. Yes. Every forum you read, every article, every video, that's what, I mean, even today still here on the island, uh, people in Okinawa Kempo, uh, my sensei, uh, Kina Sensei, who is 78 years old, so he was... 15 or so years younger than Odo Sensei, I guess. Uh -huh. his, his kata and his uh, weapons were, were just awesome. He didn't say awesome, right? But that, that's how it translates. To me. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, Odo, kata, uh, good. You know, something like that. Um, but did Odo Sensei, as far as you know, or w what you can recall, did he seem to have any favorites in kata? Or if he was ever asked, uh, to demonstrate, I don't know if you had a chance to see if he would do a demonstration in front of a group of people, or did he seem to gravitate towards a particular empty hand kata or bow kata? Or... I know he he really liked Seisan. Seisan um, okay. was one of his favorites, and uh, I think Pasai was another one of his favorites. Okay. Uh, Kobudo-wise, um, I know Kama was also one of his favorites, uh, and Bo. Good. Especially a man of his stature. I, th I think he was somewhere around five feet tall. <laughs> yeah, I think I read five, five two on a good day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And but a little guy, but man, yeah. To see was, him, you know, the videos that we have that are available of him. Um, usually he's up there in age in a lot of the videos, uh, but still to see the way he handled the, the bow, it's interesting. Cause I mean, it, you know, he would be using, I guess a six foot bow yeah. that looks like it's eight feet long, you know, <laughs> and sense he's holding yeah, he, he wouldn't care. He wouldn't yeah. care how big the bow was. We'd whip that thing around and, yeah. and I think that's what was different about how he used the bow and how others ended up using the bow is because he had to give it everything he had to move that bow mm -hmm. at the length that it had. Now, uh, you know, it comes down to physics, but if you try to have, if you look at the rotational weight of something that's moving, 
and you're swinging it around, uh, it's going to take more effort to initiate uh, and stop it. Uh, and with his weight that he had to use to put into, you know, have the energy to put into moving the weight of that bowl at that length as well, uh, it took a lot. And so it always, you know, was uh, to me visually had a, a physical challenge to him, yet he overcame any negative, you know, uh, displays with him using the bow. Man, he was just amazing with it, you know. Mm-hmm. 18 years with, with Odo Sensei, um, all the way up through your high school years until the point when you left the island. Uh, right. You you left the island when you were in your early twenties. I was twenty three. Uh, twenty three. So, yeah. Oh, that's right. Because you started with him when you were five. You said, um, yep. when you were in high school, you, or I was at high school or middle school. At some point, you got involved with gymnastics. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah, I went to Kubasaki High School, um, and as the school year of seventy nine. Uh, to 83. Uh, and I was involved with gymnastics first two years of high school. And the reason I bring that up is you and I have talked about that a little bit. You've uh, mentioned it in some different videos that you've shared online about training the body, training oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, maybe in the opposite way of a, of a muscle-bound bodybuilder versus having these yeah. long, flexible Muscles. Longer muscles, right? But did you understand that concept when you were training yeah. in gymnastics at that age, or is that something that came later on for you? To I mean, understand did... it, uh, at least on a you know a very basic level, to understand it was much later. Yeah, um, okay. I just felt the benefit of it uh, while I was young. Just knowing that I was able to do what I was able to do, um, you know, just having the flexibility and the spring, you know, and the ability to move uh, was just very different compared to you know other people I knew, you know, also trained in uh, karate. Uh, but at the, at the same time, I think it also helped my kobudo, uh, the bowl in particular, uh, because you have to have the the balance, the finesse, the you know agility to move with and around uh, your weapon. I started gymnastics when I was in middle school, seventh grade, and so I was in gymnastics for about four years. Okay, um, you know, so it started earlier, uh, but Primarily, I mean, some of the differences and how it impacted me. I mean, even the GIs that were uh, in class were, on average, I mean, there were some officers uh, and older uh, students as well, but on average, they were, you know, in their 20s, young 20s or so, you know, but still young. Mm -hmm. Uh, But depending on, by the time you're 20, depending on what you've done in your past, is going to have a huge impact on the state you are in physically and condition mm-hmm. at 20, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, when you're dropping down to uh, 
in a, into they call it a drop drop stance in some martial arts, but you, you have a fully bent knee and one is fully extended, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, like you're doing kusanku, for mm -hmm. example. Uh, so different positions like that definitely it was impacted by my ability to number one have strong legs, yet number two have the ability to have that range of motion. Mm -hmm. So that's really the primary difference. Um, so with that said, Oro Sensei, you know, he would teach me differently in a sense that he would say, okay, Pat, you're flexible and you can kick high and do a good kick. So do a good kick and kick high. Uh, so let's say in Pian Yondan, you know, you're here and you're coming back and mm -hmm. do your front kick and do his rolling punch, rolling, mm -hmm. right? So he would have me kick up high, but of course, uh, typical in Okinawa Kempo is a heel kick. So it'd be a heel kick to the chin, pow, up this way. So that's what he would have me do. Same thing in um, Pasai, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so different things like that. So this is where Oro Sensei would, you know, say things to me in you know, his language, of course, saying, oh no, Pat, it's supposed to be this way. This is the technique, so you do it this way. Uh, but that's not what he would instruct to the rest of the class. But again, here's here's where it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just different, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so there are techniques that are more associated, like kicks, are more associated to the influence of Chinese arts, like an inside crescent kick. You know, where you're you're doing a shukoke and you grab and you pull. And you do an inside crescent kick, you know, like in Pasai, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some kicks that are intended to be low, also in Pasai or in Saison. Uh, but there are some that are, you know, for all intents and purposes, they look odd if you're not flexible. Mm. Because, oh, why did you kick your hand? You know, and it's now down at your knee. What are you doing? Right. So it's things like that, that, that here's, no, Pat, this is supposed to be here. So at chest level, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so those inside crescent kicks that he's talking about, where you're grabbing the arm, pulling it, and you're kicking the inside of the arm. Mm -hmm. So you're, kick, you're kicking the shoulder socket mm -hmm. to knock the arm out. And then you come in with an elbow or, you know, whatever the technique right. might be to follow up. Uh, but it's things like that that he would instruct me to do things slightly different just because I was able to. But... Mm -hmm primarily because he was able to communicate with me the details he wanted to share. So that, because he was able to communicate to you effectively in the language, that means that he was using it, uh, he was instructing you verbally. Uh, yes. Wasn't necessarily, a, uh, he wasn't necessarily showing it, and that may be where some of the things got lost for other people. And, yeah, I, and I'm not I saying mean, anything could, negative about anyone else. No, 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 no. I, he couldn't communicate it yeah. right, in, in detail. And he talked to people's learning. And yep. if they caught on to something, they could do as he did, you know, all was fine. Um, but w with me, not that I was tr being treated special or anything, but, uh, you know, I'm, to be honest, I'm probably his longest standing student. 18 yep. years. I, I don't know of anybody, anybody who has trained with Oro Sensei face to face right. for 18 years. Right. You know, I don't know. Right. Uh, I see so, what you mean. You know, he'd be, he'd he'd be upfront and very, you know, straight with me and say, "No, do it this way," and so I did. 
to ozaj spôsobil. Well, at some point though you did have to leave the island. Well, you didn't have to, you chose to. Yes, that was uh, 1988. Yeah. Well, that ends episode one with Sensei Pat McGale. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned for the next episode when we hear about his journeys to America, getting kicked out of some dojos, and when he discovered his uh, liking of Wushu. Thank you for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. As always, I am Josh Simmers coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan.